0: In today's world, it's critical to have a beautiful, custom-designed website to take your business to the next level. So if you're a small business in Colorado, and if you need a website that stands out, check out Pikes Peak Web Design. Pikes Peak Web Design is the easiest way to get an amazing website designed for your business. Don't worry about the hassle of creating it yourself, and work with a local team of experts who's going to walk you through each step of the website design process and make things nice and simple for you. They built our website. Let them build yours. Check them out at pikespeakwebdesign.com. This episode of Attitude Check is brought to you by Altus Professionals. In the business world, first impressions matter. That's why you want to make sure that you're ready when you meet that person who's going to help take you to the next level. They're going to mentor you, help start your company. You want to make sure your style game is on point so you make the right first impression. So, if you're in the market for stylish yet affordable men's professional accessories, I'm talking sunglasses, watches, tie clips, ties, dress socks, you name it, head to Dash professionals that's a l t u s professionals.myshopify.com and make sure you use the promo code ATTITUDE10 for 10% off your entire purchase. They're already really affordable, but make sure you use that promo code to get that extra 10% off. Again, that's altist-professionals.myshopify.com, promo code ATTITUDE10. Make sure you check them out, folks.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today, we have Venkat Reddy as a guest. Venkat is the chancellor of UCCS, and this truly was an episode that I just immensely enjoyed. Uh, both Brent and I really, really enjoyed the conversation that we had with him. It was just genuine, authentic Uh, very personal, and we could have gone on for hours just talking with Venkat, and we appreciate the time that he took to sit down with us. One of the things that he really helped me to start to shift my perspective on was just how I view college in general, Uh, more of an investment than anything else. Uh, I think oftentimes I look at college as something that it's just super expensive and it's not worth it, but his perspective on that is truly insightful and just his wisdom in life is absolutely incredible I know that all of y'all will enjoy listening to this episode so without further ado let's jump into this episode with Venkat ready. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day, engage with your community, effect change, and
0: produce impact. I'm John Mark Ratspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having, but aren't.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we are excited to have Venkat Reddy as a guest. Venkat is the Chancellor at University of Colorado at Colorado Springs, which is my alma mater. So we're super excited to have him as a guest. So Venkat,
0: welcome. I'm excited to be with you guys. Awesome. So as usual, we like to start off with an icebreaker question. And the question I have today for you is, when was the last time you laughed
2: and what did you laugh at? So, laughing is probably an everyday thing for me because it doesn't take much to make me laugh. So, <laughs> I could laugh at a joke I'm reading. I could laugh at a joke that you might make because I'm a big believer. I think uh, everyone should be smiling and laughing every day. Uh, life is too short. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good philosophy to live by. Is there anything in particular um, that, you know, kind of really get to going? Or is it just in general, you try to take a positive attitude to everything?
2: This has been me for the longest time I remember. I always look at a glass as half full. Um, I see the best in people. I consider myself a perennial optimist. So I always say that there are good things around the corner.
0: Yeah, So definitely. That's, uh, I think, is something we can takeaway. That's the first time I've heard that term. Perennial optimist.
2: (laughs) Hard to keep me down for too long.
0: (laughs) Well, when you're leading an organization as large as UCCS, I think that speaks volumes on your leadership style and, you know, the outlook um, for Mm -hmm. the school. So I think it's in good hands so far. So Venkat, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to where you're at?
2: How long do you want the story to be? (laughs) (laughs) So... Well, it's a, I mean, we'll, we'll go back from the uh, time I was growing up in India. Um, I did my undergrad in India in, uh, believe it or not, in agriculture. So when I finished my undergrad, I really wanted to come to the U.S. I had two options. I want to pursue medical school or come to the U.S. So the medical school thing didn't work out. So I decided to come to the U.S. So deciding was the easiest part of it. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest part of it is how do you get there? So I do come from a middle-income family. So that means didn't have money to pay for college here. Mm-hmm. And so I did apply to several schools, mainly the top 10 schools in AgEcon for master's. And Penn State responded. And Penn State said, you had admission. So they sent me a letter and you've got to remember, those days, computers were really not out there.
3: Mm.
2: They just started coming out. So it took two weeks for a letter to go one way. And if somebody instantly replied, it takes two weeks for the letter to come back. <laughs> so a four-week turnaround would be extraordinarily fast, right? So I did send out. So I get this letter, which I'm scanning through it and say, where's the money? Where's the money? <laughs> <laughs> Right. So I had admission. So I said, now, what do I do? So I sat down and wrote a three page letter and mailed it off. And I distinctly remember the couple of things I said in it, how passionate I was about going to Penn State and working hard for the program. And the second thing is that even if I gave you my dad's entire paycheck, it wouldn't cover one semester's tuition. And I forgot about it because what do you do after that? <laughs> <laughs> so I told you about the one-month turnaround. Mm-hmm. After five weeks, I get a letter back from Dr. Frank Good, who was the chair of the Ag Econ department. In that, he lays out how excited he is wanting for me to come. He gave me two and a half years of tuition and living expenses. Wow. So sometimes you have to get really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so I came to the U.S. at that point. So I went to Penn State and uh, did my master's in agricultural economics. And then I went to, so I took a class in, you guys are from business school, so you relate to it. I took a class in ag marketing and they taught a class in forward markets. And forward markets is where you set a price into the future, right? You decide on a price today Mm -hmm. for the transaction to take place in the future. That just fascinated me. I said, hmm, this is amazing. I probably should get a PhD in finance so that I can figure this out, (laughs) (laughs) how they do it. (laughs) So what I'm sharing with you is you don't have to know everything, right? Mm -hmm. I was pretty clueless when I made those decisions there was no real plan. Okay, if I do PhD in finance, this is how I end up somewhere. This was a pure journey of passion. Hmm. And so went to the business school and believe it or not, convinced them that they should fund me. And so I did a PhD in finance at that point. And then I applied for jobs. And one of the openings was at UCCS. So I came to UCCS in 1991. 28 years ago. And so this is the only place I ever worked for in my life. Hmm. That's amazing. Yes. Especially today. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to say I love UCCS so much and don't want to leave the place. So I just keep finding a job right here. So when you (laughs)
0: accepted the position at UCCS, was it a hard decision for you? Because I know you had a passion for, um, you know, those futures and the finance and the technical side of that. Um, So was it almost a step back? Did you ever want to go directly into the industry and work directly with the investments and trading? Or was it always in the back of your mind to go into higher education?
2: So just because you have a passion for something doesn't mean you end up in there. Mm -hmm. The passion starts the journey. And that's why I always tell people, don't get locked up into your passion, because when you grow up, you're going to learn a lot of new things. New things open up just because you didn't get to what you started out with doesn't mean that you didn't get to where you want to go. So, in fact, I forgot about Forward Markets once I joined the PhD program. So Mm -hmm. I went on to other things. It was a spark to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. But that was not it. That was not the Holy Grail. Mm -hmm. And my goal really was to go into Wall Street eventually, right, as I did my PhD, because I thought that's going to be a fun place to be. But then I taught in the last year, I was a graduate assistant, so I taught classes in the last year I was at Penn State, and I enjoyed it so much, I that moment I realized I'm really a teacher at heart, and this is what I'm meant to do, <laughs> right? So. Yeah. That's, I didn't even apply to anywhere in Wall Street. I only applied for universities. I wanted to be a teacher. Hmm. Wow. And so that's how I ended up at university. So I don't consider that as somehow I missed something. <laughs> it just morphed into that path It morphs and- into something. And I tell people all the time, don't lock yourself in. Yeah, you always should have a goal. I will never say you shouldn't have a goal. But that doesn't mean that if you didn't hit it, something better didn't happen to you. Yeah, that's a good point too. People, right. it's almost
0: like that old adage, you know, shoot for the or shoot for the stars, land on the moon. Yeah. So just because you didn't hit plan A, doesn't mean a better right. result. I mean, the,
2: the thing is, I think we take life so seriously that miss out a lot of fun throughout the journey that you take. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people be open to things. It's not the end of the world. Hmm.
0: So backtracking a little bit, um, when, before you received that letter from, I'm sorry, what was his name? Dr. Doctor Frank Good. Frank Good. Um, Did you have a plan B if that letter didn't come to fruition, or what was
2: your plan at that point? So even as I was growing up, I was an optimist, right? Without mm-hmm. that optimism, I wouldn't have taken the time to write a long letter and said, <laughs> hope something will happen. No, no, I had lots of plans. I already had a job in a bank. I was already writing entrance exams for some of the top schools in the country for management, Mm -hmm. Indian Institute of Management. So always had plans. So that was never a problem. Mm -hmm. I always can, okay, if this doesn't work out, what do I do? Nothing really sets you back. So, yeah, I did. And did you uh, keep in touch
0: and correspond with him after you started um, your process and after you enrolled in
2: classes? With? Um, With uh, Dr. Groot. Oh, yeah, hey. yeah. I mean, he was the chair of the department. So as okay. master's and PhD students, always interact with faculty there. Okay. So absolutely. And unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But I need to back up and tell you another story. Okay. 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 <laughs> so what you need to realize is my mother is a huge influence on my life. Massive. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a professor of parasitology and veterinary science. So he was highly educated, my mom probably, I'm not sure if she passed eighth grade. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> But she believed in me in a big, big way. And that's very important that somebody believes in you, whether you believe in yourself or not. That gives you that additional warmth that you need <laughs> to succeed in life. So she was a big motivation for me to say, you know, you can make it. So I'll tell you the quick story. So I grew up at home. Very spoiled kid. Never worked outside of the house. The whole goal was to study, study, study. So I was in the top whatever percent, 3% or whatever in the College of Agriculture when I graduated. So when I came to the U.S., just remember this. My tuition was fully paid. I had living expenses taken care of. A month or two into staying here, I got homesick. Right? Think about it. I left my family. I left everything when I came to a completely new country, had no idea how this place operates. So I come from home. I never even lived outside of the house to U.S. Just think about the cultural shock. Mm. I was homesick. Mm -hmm. I called up my mom. In those days, it was $3 a minute. So you had to really move fast. (laughs) Right? So I said, I'm homesick. I'm coming home. I can't take this place anymore. I'm not eating well. I'm not sleeping well. I'm done." My mom goes, "Um, fine, just come back. If you're not happy, I don't want you to stay happy. Just come back. I said, great. I'm booking my tickets. She said, sure. And just before I was about to hang up the phone, she goes, uh, before you book the tickets, just think about your family honor. and (laughs) oh oh my goodness (laughs) so so that was tough Mm -hmm. that was really tough I was I still remember crying like nobody's business I just (laughs) didn't know where do you go from there Mm -hmm. what do you explain Mm -hmm. right so so that tells me she believed in me more than I did she knew I could make it um we're gonna to come to about the university but that's part of the reason i enjoy my job so much because there's always somebody like me out there with a little bit of help mm-hmm. they can make it big yeah it's right? somebody who believes in them
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, somebody who mentors them coaches them so i think the possibilities are unbelievable unreal absolutely and that's
0: something that we've heard from you know a few other guests um, First, one that comes to mind is Frank Sinclair. He told us his story about how he was homeless in Colorado Springs, and just from the random act of kindness from a stranger that passed him in Acacia Park, you know, he kind of turned his life around. So I think it's a great thing to see that people put so much effort and weight onto having this one set plan that each step has to be executed perfectly when it's just these little random acts or these little, you know, phrases that stick with you forever that really catapult you to where you need to go. Absolutely.
2: People Mm -hmm. have to believe no matter how many bad decisions they made in their life, at this particular moment, you have an opportunity to make a right decision. I want you to tell me, whom do you know Who went back in time and changed their decision? Anybody? No one. Right? Mm -hmm. So that means nobody can do it. So instead of worrying about the decision you made yesterday, think about the decision you're going to make now. That might change your life. Because most of us either spend our time looking back with regrets, with tears, Mm And they look forward with fears. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. But you forget to live today. Today is real. So you need to make your decisions today. You use the past experiences to make this decision today, but that's about it. Mm
0: -hmm. So when your mom dropped that line on you, did that come as a shock? Like you said that she's very supportive and really believes in you. Was that her normal style of support or was that something kind of new that she dropped My mom and I had
2: a strong bond. I mean, it was not that. I mean, I knew because honor is a big deal in India, Mm -hmm. right? So, and in other countries too. So you, I knew why she said that. Um, At that moment, it didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I could imagine. But that's, yeah, that's a great story.
0: I feel like that's something my mom would tell me, which is there you go. it makes it even
2: uh, that much better to hear that. So. <laughs> that it happens a lot, right? I mean, because why would they do that? Think about that. Mm-hmm. Because they care. Yeah. They want you to be successful. They don't want you to give up. So there's lots of things. So it was, I think the shock was because I was all excited to go home mm-hmm. and then it just tanked. So, that's a <laughs> so she set up the carpet and then she just pulled totally. it out from <laughs> Completely, yeah.
0: So what state were you in at that time that that happens? Were you in Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: So yeah, the East Coast must have been a pretty big culture shock. Oh, Penn State is... A, I don't know if either of you have been to Penn State, but it's a university town. There's nothing. It's a big university with anything that's around it is supporting the university. Mm-hmm.
0: So after that conversation, as you're going through, um, you know, your graduate degree, uh, what did you do to kind of um, adjust and cope and, and surround yourself and get over that feeling of being homesick?
2: It took some time. It took a few months. Um, but then you kind of form the friend circle. You have people in the master's program, you have other people, there's some people in the Indian community. So you kind of, you'll figure it out. I mean, once, once, the mindset has been made that there's no going back <laughs> now you just have to look forward mm-hmm. right so maybe i couldn't have said what i said to you in words but i was probably practicing it mm. that i was only looking forward at that point so it all worked out and penn state has was huge in football and that was game i had to figure out what it is <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm still trying to figure it out. I was born yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pushing and shouting. They go, what's happening there? How do they actually win? So, but if you're at Penn State, you better know the game. So everybody talks to you about that. My, uh, my go to
0: is whenever I'm in a sporting event where I don't know what's going on, just cheer when everyone else cheers. <laughs> you know.
2: Hey, when I was growing up, I used to, um, when I went to an uh, American movie or an English movie, I used to laugh when everybody else laughed because I couldn't follow the dialogue, so. <laughs> so it happens. <laughs> so I was laughing when you say, tell me a good joke." that's a good one for you. <laughs> so laugh when you have no idea why you're laughing. Just when everyone else is. <laughs> <talks. laughs> so, yeah, yeah, because I never really spoke in English mm-hmm. when I was growing up in India. I went to the English medium, medium schools, mm-hmm. so I knew how to write, but never really spoke. So my speaking actually started once I came to the U.S., mm. Did it take a little bit
1: to kind of pick up on things again? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a process,
2: you know. You can pick up anything. It's just a matter of staying focused, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So kind of fast-forwarding back on your journey, um,
0: you become a faculty member at UCCS. So what's the steps or the process that you took to become a finance faculty member to Current chancellor of
1: the
2: school,
0: and also, did you ever see yourself being chancellor when you started
1: out? You know, it's funny
2: you say that. My daughter asked me when I became chancellor, said, "Dad, this is was this your plan when you left India? You want to be a chancellor?" I said, "Absolutely, that was my goal." Right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that tells you it's not really that's <laughs> not how it works out. Um, my goal really was just to come to the US. That's it. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what I was going to do. So that's even worse. No goal at all, right? <laughs> but uh, I knew I wanted to continue my higher studies. That was important to me, mm-hmm. if you had to make a real goal. All right, how did I end up in this position? So I was a very happy faculty member, very much an introvert. Um, I could perform in the classroom, but I was not that easy to talk to people. And I was just going along my way. And then we had this opportunity to start an online MBA program. And this was back in 96. So I came here in 91. Mm-hmm. So I'm a h- huge geek. <laughs> I love technology. That's my biggest regret, that I don't have time for my toys. Mm-hmm. So I used to be like, I used to always have the latest gadgets or anything. <laughs> so. Latest computer, latest TV, latest camcorder, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> allowed gadgets, right? So so then this opportunity came, people were not that excited about it. I did develop an online class at that time uh, for the MBA program. Then in 99, the dean at that time said, you know, we need somebody to run this online MBA because it's really not doing well. Because there was no, nobody leading it, and that was not a thing at that time, online programs. Mm-hmm. So one of my colleagues, she comes to my office and says, "Winkat, why aren't you applying for that position? It's the assistant dean for distance education." And I said, "Why? I can't even talk, um, and also I'm a happy faculty member. And by that time, I had actually won a couple of outstanding teacher awards." So I thought, this is it. This is my life. (laughs) I'll be a happy teacher, uh, faculty member. And she said, you know, you get to buy technology and you get to experiment with it as part of the online program. I said, huh? Really? (laughs) So I, I sparked up. And so that's what started my administrative career. So I went into administration, I helped build the online MBA program into a very highly successful program. Uh, I did speak. It probably had a $2 million turnover. in Gross revenues. Which helped us a lot because as the state was reducing its funding, we were able to use this money to subsidize what we couldn't uh, do. So as that journey continued, the dean position opened up and the then chancellor said, you know, if you did so well in this, you should be able to do this well. (laughs) So (laughs) I was appointed the interim dean in 2004. And uh, next year, they opened up the search and I was selected uh, in the search process. Mm -hmm. So I was dean from 2004 to 2017, January. Mm. So I did run the college for a very long time. So you graduated in, what, 2017? 2017. So Mm -hmm. I just became chancellor then, so. Yeah. (laughs) That year. Yeah, I remember that whole process and, you know,
0: word going around the school and everything, so. Mm -hmm. Ah. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion around that, so.
2: Right, right. So that's how that, and then the chancellor's position happened kind of similarly then. Then-President Bruce Benson, he interviewed me and selected me as the interim chancellor, then opened up a national search so I had to compete with a couple of other people, and I was appointed chancellor in May. Okay. So the, the chancellor who was appointed me as dean was Dr. Pam Shockley-Zalabak, who was the chancellor for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So then I became the chancellor after that. So she's been a really big influence on my life as well. Mm-hmm. Just think about it. We, she started in 2002. I started in 2004. Okay. So as Chancellor were, and as Dean. So we really were together uh, in making some impact.
0: So as far as your involvement with the school and I guess on a side note to that, your actual um, job duties, what's the biggest difference and your favorite and worst part about becoming or moving from the position of Dean to Chancellor?
2: So you should know I was a very happy Dean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a Dean here. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, You know, that's interesting you say that because attitude has a lot to do with how you live your life. And somebody actually said that to me. It's interesting you pointed that out. I was telling the same story to someone saying, you know what? I enjoyed every job I did. I was a very happy faculty member. I was a very happy assistant dean. I was a very happy. I did an associate dean for a year in between. I was a very happy dean. And I'm a very happy chancellor, too. Isn't that awesome that you get to do the jobs that you love to do? And he said, uh, what's common throughout that theme? <laughs> <laughs> it was really you because it's the attitude. How do you approach something and how do you make it your own? Mm-hmm. Right? Because administrative jobs are generally very challenging jobs. you got so many things that are up in the air mm-hmm. that you're supposed to be responsible for, accountable for. So, but I think attitude is very, very important. Uh, Not only just to be successful, for you to be truly happy with what you're doing, right? And if it senses that you're not really happy in the job, you need to move on, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you shouldn't be doing a job that you're not happy at. You spend a lot of time in it. Um, So let's get back to your question.
0: So as far as moving from dean to chancellor, what were the biggest shifts as far as um, your involvement with the school and your actual job position? And you say involvement with in the school, with the College of Business?
2: Uh, with the College with of the Business university. or with the, I guess, the greater university yeah. network. So let's talk about the greater university because um, the College of Business is somebody else's problem now, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that whoever that person would be is the one that has to make sure that the integrity is there and the continue to be make it successful. So once I moved into the chancellor's position, I immediately shifted to worrying about the campus because now it's a much bigger responsibility. Mm-hmm. The interesting part is even though I was part of the campus for a very long time, right, I still needed to know my own campus. Mm-hmm. I knew the College of Business really well <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully left it in, in much, much better shape than I found it mm-hmm. as a dean, right? But for the campus, once I came on board, I needed to learn more about the rest of the campus. So I actually uh, had met with lots and lots of small groups just to learn about what their aspirations are, what is it they want to accomplish. Because at the end of the day, what's a campus? The campus, I was talking about this as part of our strategic planning process. We are only whole When students, faculty, staff, alumni, and community, we all come together. That's what makes a campus, right? This is about us thinking the bigger vision for the campus together. How do we make this thing move forward? How do we take it to the next level? But it takes a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So the chancellor's role primarily is to build lots of relationships and inspire the campus citizens to take us to the next level. Mm -hmm. Because, and how do you go about inspiring? That means they need to feel that they're valued on campus. They need to feel that I can make a difference. I can make a difference on my own. I can make a difference with people I work with. Mm -hmm. And so what I discovered along my journey there is how big a heart our faculty and staff have for our students. That was phenomenal that means that's something which was a gift for me in terms of having a culture like that so um, so continue to for me culture is the most important thing in this whole journey because you could have a lot of money you can squander that away but if you have a strong culture that culture will make the money Mm -hmm. and you're still enjoying what you're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. so so I've emphasized a lot on culture I have not, not made money anything less. You do need money to get things done. <laughs> you do it in different ways. Mm-hmm. So what strategies have you used
0: to build the culture you want within the university? Because a university is a very unique institution compared to other private businesses or other you know, public sector um, institutions. So is there anything in particular that you use to help um, bolster that? Culture across campus throughout the faculty and
2: the students? So culture is like turning a cruise ship, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that easy because culture is what it is. Not that our culture was broken, right? So, but you start putting some of the core values that you believe in would advance the university in that culture piece. So I've always preached a culture of respect, compassion, safety, and excellence. For me, respect is paramount. Because respect cuts across age, gender, race, you pick anything, Mm -hmm. wealth, status, it cuts across everything. So you have to respect each other because you're fellow human beings, not because I have a higher title than you or you have more money than me. That should not come in play. So when you respect each other in an organization, you can have difficult conversations, right? It's not Kumbaya, it's about, you can have tough conversations, but then you can come back to the table because you care. So I, the often I tell people, think about it. Everybody can tell if somebody is respecting you, even a stranger.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Even if you don't know if that person has ethics or integrity, you know that they're respecting you. Mm. Right? And so that can be garnered right away. You can tell right away. So there is somebody respects you. Then you're more likely to be more approachable. You're more likely to open up. Compassion is about caring about others, helping each other succeed, right? So you start with respect. Then you think about how do I help the other person succeed, right? Safety is about I want everyone on this campus to feel safe, both mentally and physically, no matter who you are. And excellence is about how do we put UCCS on the map together that everybody thinks, hey, UCCS is at a, is a great institution, Mm -hmm. right? And that you had to earn. So I've been talking about that. I talked about it from the day I was preparing for the interviews for the chancellor.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And even till today, I talk about the same thing. Not that you can't talk about a lot of other things. You can talk about ethics, you can talk about integrity, you can talk about trust. They all kind of play into it. Mm -hmm. But I want people to start relating to each other with respect first because then you can get into all these other things. If I don't respect you, why would I trust you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why would I care about your ethics or integrity? Mm -hmm. So not saying that they're not important, but it starts with this. Mm -hmm. So shifting that culture or improving the
0: culture was obviously a big part of your mission when you became chancellor. Um, Another thing you mentioned was increasing accessibility to students. more specifically, I read in a, a past interview you did, um, you wanted to increase uh, accept or graduation rates and decrease dropout rates. Correct. So there's obviously a lot of moving parts to solving that issue, a lot of people who are involved. Um, as far as a proactive approach that students can take to help, because I think that's something that everyone can get around, right? No <laughs> one wants to have to drop out of college Correct. and everyone wants to graduate. Um, what advice or what guidance would you give to students who are going to enter the university system where they can improve their odds of not dropping
2: out and graduating? So it has lots of pieces to it, right? I mm-hmm. mean, first of all, you're spending money to go to college. <laughs> so you should probably put some value on it. Yeah. <laughs> <and say laughs> that why am I doing it if I don't want to stay in school?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But that's not necessarily the case for our students. They want to get an education. They want to stay in school and graduate. But many of them don't have the financial wherewithal to stay in school, right? Many of them work on a second job or third job and go to school. 68% of our students work and go to school, right? And if there is some kind of an issue with finances, they go, okay, I'm going to just drop out of this semester and maybe come back next semester. Once you drop out, it's very hard to come back, right? It's like working out. Once you stop working out, it's hard to get back in there, Mm -hmm. right? So so we have financial challenges. Or students might leave because they don't have a major they want to do at this campus. They might go to another place. Mm -hmm. Students drop out for family reasons, right? When your family needs you, you go, that's more important than staying in school. So what students need to remember when they enter school is they are coming there to complete school. And no matter what happens, they need to stay in school. We have academic advisors. They need to take their help. If there are financial problems, they need to go to the financial aid office. Don't just give up. We may offer them all kinds of options to think about so that they can stay in school, right? Mm -hmm. And we might help them find a a job on campus or we might find a scholarship that suits them. So they should definitely approach the financial aid office for sure. Talk to the academic advisors. What are the options? Can you take an online class and still continue to work? Because we have a whole slew of online programs to help students. (laughs) So, and seek help. When you go to class, don't just go to class, take, uh, listen to the lecture and go home and plan on acing it. Even if you ace it, that's great. But make sure you build a relationship with the faculty member. Get to know them. Tomorrow, they're going to write your reference letters. They'll pick (laughs) up the phone and call employers. Mm -hmm. So get to know your faculty because that's going to keep you in school. Get involved with clubs. All kinds of student clubs are there. Mm -hmm. Um, Play sports and do outdoor activities with teams. So the more engaged you become in the campus, the more likely you're staying in school. So there are lots of things students can do on their own uh, to make sure that they stay in school. Mm -hmm. Build a support system around you. I think UCCS is a great place for that. Absolutely. And
0: I guess a flip side to that question, um, you know, as a UCCS alumni, I was presented with a lot of opportunity through the school. So what can I do or what can the wider uh, alumni population do or even the surrounding community of Colorado Springs do to help support students?
2: So the alumni... um, Building didn't even start till 2006 or 2005. Uh, And we started that in the business school at that time, actually. And now it is just humming. The people in the alumni office are doing a great job. Uh, Joanna Bean is the director for that. And that team is doing an excellent job in connecting with alumni. What can the alumni do? Unfortunately, uh, most of our alumni came out in the last 12 years, almost 70% of them. <laughs> so they're still young. They're still trying to figure out their own careers. So we had to wait till they become rich and famous, right? So, <laughs> and I want all of you to become rich and famous, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can uh, support these students who are so well-deserving mm-hmm. of an education. Uh, so that's one thing. Whatever, even if you give a dollar, at least build a habit of giving something back for the school. Uh, second thing, you could be mentoring our students. You could be coaching our students. Uh, you could even walk into career fairs and talk to our students and say, hey, did you think about this for a career, right? Mm-hmm. And holding those kinds of things. Uh, we've done all kinds of experiments when I was in the college business about um, kind of quote-unquote dating games. So we do speed dating. Mm-hmm. So an employer uh, or an alumnus will talk to a graduating student and try to quickly figure out what their interests are and then suggest to them, you need to think about this career or talk to this person. And they quickly go to the next alumnus. They give a different kind of... So there was a kind of an interesting things that were set up to Mm -hmm. help them prepare. So, question about the
1: mentoring. Because I'd love to talk with students and Mm -hmm. help mentor them. Mm Because it's a difficult transition, 18 to 22, when you're trying to figure out what the heck is life and what am I doing with it. Uh, it's difficult because oftentimes you don't really want to ask for help or you don't know that you can ask for help. So, does UCCS have things in place to, for alumnus to mentor?
2: Yes. Okay. So, I don't know if you know Megan Stid, mm-hmm. who's in the business school. She is, was the internship coordinator now. She has a different position. But I would reach out to her and say, hey, I'm willing to mentor or coach, get me involved. Right. I mean, one of the things you need to remember is this school um, has gone through a lot of transition. The state budget when I came was probably around 40 percent of the budget. Today it's about 10 percent. Right. So there are lots of things we are trying to do with very limited resources. So the more help we can get from the alumni and the community, the better off we are. Right? Because when I say better off we are, the better off our students are. Um, I actually, when I talk to the industry and business folks, I always tell them, I want you to know all we are doing is keeping your future employees with us for four to six years. The rest of the life they're going to spend with you. So what do you think you should spend in terms of time and money on this campus? <laughs> <laughs> These are... Your future employees, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you both spent four to six years on the campus. Mm-hmm. Now you're in the community, you're with industry. So, if we didn't do a good job, your companies are going to struggle, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, the more involved the alumni and the community are in the campus, we can build a much more sophisticated and a great society for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of,
1: a, I guess, a curveball question. With the next generation, they have seen kind of what millennials went through with student debt. And from what I've seen, they're starting to kind of say, I don't want to go off to college or I want to pay for it all myself, which then they end up taking gap years or taking longer. So have you started to see some of those things come into play already with Gen Z going into
2: college? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a challenge because I want people to think about the value of higher education a little differently than how it's portrayed, mm-hmm. right? Generally, we say, well, we're spending tuition. Uh, we're going to get an education so I can get the next job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no question. You got to get the next job so you can actually make a living. But higher education is more than just getting a job, right? Higher education is about leading a healthy life. Higher education is about having intellectual conversations. Higher education about it being a volunteer in the community. Higher education is about really making the society a better place. So I think people need to start deciphering higher education and say, the true value of the higher education is a lot more than what you see, right? If you just want a job, yeah, you can take a, do a lot of things and get a job. If you just want to make money, I'm sure there are different ways to make make money. But I want people to think about how the quality of your life will be much more superior through higher education. Hmm. And lots of data has been, uh, data is out there where let's say you walk away with say $27,000 loan, which is what UCCS loan is on average, right? When you graduate. Over your lifetime, you're going to make a million dollars because you have an undergraduate education. 27000 is like buying a reasonable car, right? But car depreciates. (laughs) Your education appreciates. Mm -hmm. So people need to think about this in very different ways. Sometimes, yeah, loans, anybody will say, well, oh, my God, no, I don't want to take a loan. But maybe taking a little bit of a loan might help you graduate sooner. That means there's an opportunity cost. Wouldn't you want to start on a job sooner than later? So delaying education actually has a huge opportunity cost to it.
0: So speaking on the value of things and making an investment in your education and future. In yourself as well. <laughs> and yourself, absolutely. Um, what would you say is the best or among the best investments you've made for yourself, whether that's you know, something you know you spent time on or purchased or really anything that you just put effort into?
2: I think you want to read good books. <laughs> And I just read more fiction. I read more nonfiction now, whenever I can find some time. Is. <laughs> um, you do want to invest in yourself in terms of keeping yourself in shape. Because if you are not healthy, it doesn't matter how many books you read, right? So there is a strong mind-body connection. So you need to make sure that you're healthy in your mind and healthy in your body. And uh, there's a lot of work done on happiness That means you need to make sure that you have new experiences in life, either through travel or through uh, doing things like uh, I can share with you. I just jumped off a plane uh, (laughs) three three months ago in a tandem jump, right? Mm -hmm. That's an exhilarating experience, right? Mm -hmm. So that brings a lot of happiness to you. Uh, Socialization, uh, volunteerism making a difference in the community. There's so many things you can do to keep yourself mentally sane and healthy. Absolutely. And I almost feel bad for,
0: for asking this question now that you dropped that gem of knowledge there. But tell us more about jumping out of a plane. Was that, <laughs> did you have a choice in the matter? Or? Oh, totally. That was on my bucket list. <laughs> okay,
2: okay. That was absolutely on my bucket list. And I, I had to extend my thanks to the Air Force Academy. Where I got to jump off of their blue team. Oh, wow. And they train you for about an hour to prepare you for that. So it was just an amazing amazing. experience. Yeah, so that's an extra special
0: experience there. It's not like you're jumping off of a normal commercial. Oh, no. It's probably probably not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah.
1: So, Venkat, as you were at UCCS and kind of going through your academic career to where you're at now, how
2: has mentorship played a role? I had lots of people that influenced me. They may or may not know about it. So what you're seeing in front of you is a compilation of lots and lots and lots of people. (laughs) You don't become who you are without a lot of help from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So yes, I had lots of influences, starting
0: from my mother. So when you say influences, did you ever seek out like a formal mentor-mentee relationship? Or did you just take pieces and take wisdom from the people you're surrounded with and
2: um, kind of just pick out the good parts I may not have a formal mentorship but I had a lot of informal mentors mm-hmm. that uh, whom I looked up to and who appreciated and whose words made a lot of sense how they approached it right the people that probably make the biggest influence are the ones who make you um, believe in something that you may not have believed in So would you mind sharing
0: a few of those beliefs with us that, you know, something that breaks that glass ceiling to where you
2: didn't think it was possible before? One is believing in yourself, totally. And the thing that actually got me through the examples I gave you, a lot of that has to do with grit. Just putting your head down and saying, I'm just gonna make this happen, (laughs) (laughs) right? So you do have to have this unwavering grit If you want to accomplish something Mm -hmm. and not just kind of grit without a plan is no good either. (laughs) Right. You need to know what you're planning on accomplishing. Mm -hmm. Right. And along the way, you could deviate and say, you know what, instead of that, I'm going to do this. That's okay, But you still need to have a goal that you go after. Even as a chancellor, I when I talk to people, I talk a lot about, you know, please evaluate what you're doing every day. Right. Are you working towards an outcome or are you just going through an activity? Because most of us just do activity and then we come back home and say, oh, my God, I'm tired. I worked really hard. Mm -hmm. I'm saying pause and say, "Okay, you worked hard to what end? (laughs) Let's make that count. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So whenever we all need to pause periodically and reflect on things we're doing and say, "Okay, I worked really hard. That's great. (laughs) Now, what happened because of that hard work? And is that what I want to see happen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you need to get a little smarter about outcomes. What am I working towards? And keep adjusting your activity to that outcome. Mm-hmm. You can't say, I really want a healthy life, but I'll work out when I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Is not exactly that. So you'll see people, I mean I've seen this too, and I'm also a culprit and victim of this. You since you didn't work out, you'll go to the why or you'll you'll work out like crazy for two hours because you didn't work out for a month. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, That's not going to exactly lead you to the outcome, (laughs) right? So how do you prepare consistently to do what you need to do, Mm -hmm. right? So I always challenge people to think about outcomes and then reflect back on, am I doing the right activity to get to that outcome? So beginning with the end in mind. Correct. Right, so that can be pretty powerful. So I learned that anybody who wants to succeed today in a leadership role needs to have a very high level of emotional intelligence. To translate that to you very in simple words, lots of great definitions are out there is make sure that you know who you are, understand yourself. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Second thing, understand others. (laughs) When you can do that, now you can make connections, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: right? If you're not comfortable in your own skin, how are you going to lead anybody?
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great point because in today's narrative, when you hear people talking about emotional intelligence, that beginning part's always left out about knowing yourself first. Because Correct. when people hear that, they think how to communicate, how to read people,
2: how to know what they're thinking. But it's never introspective. Right. You have to do that first. You have to know yourself. You need to know your flaws. You need to know your strengths. Right, then you can keep adjusting to that, saying, you know what, this is not my thing. So I'm sure Brent is better about this. So let him do this thing because I know I'm not good at it. (laughs) So that's the power of knowing yourself. You don't have to prove that you can do it. There's no reason for it. (laughs) right? That you believe in people, you need to be able to delegate to people who have those strengths
0: and get the work done. Being able to kind of take a step back and tell people these are the areas that I'm flawed in, these are the areas where I could use improvement and I need help, it really makes you step back away from your ego. And in today's world where everyone is competing for that first place position, everyone wants to show off the things they're doing great, what can you recommend as exercises in you know
2: taking your ego out of things? You just have to be authentic. There's no alternative to that. We all have egos. Nobody can say I don't have an ego. But I want to ask you, what is ego? It's hard to put a finger at it. Where is your ego? Right? (laughs) This is a made up stuff (laughs) that we attributed to ourselves. So let's put that aside for a minute and just be authentic about who you are and take help from others in accomplishing a task. Feeling good about yourself could be ego. (laughs) Right? I mean, you can make up some... I think a healthy level of ego is okay, but um, don't let it come between relationships, between making something good happen, because there's so much help this world needs. So let's do what we can in our own space, right? For example, at UCCS, we have first-generation students. We have low-income students. We have military, active military and their families, right? Our students... So I always tell when out there, I say, if you could help one first generation students, this is the person who is first in their family to go to college. If you help them graduate, you just helped their entire future generation to go to college. Think about how powerful that is. If you had to mentor a student, pick somebody who's first generation, pick somebody who's low income, right? Pick somebody who's in the military, because they all are looking for new ways of looking at the world, new ways of thinking about things. So there's a lot of good to be done. So let's not waste our time with egos and unnecessary politics.
3: Mm.
2: And yeah. that's so true that there's a lot that needs to be done. And I
0: guess on that note, um, the question just randomly popped into my head, but looking into you know 10 years, 15, 20 years into the future for um, UCCS, You know, if you could have infinite resources and build it up to this idyllic um, structure and icon within the community, what would that look like
2: for you? You just messed up my mind by saying unlimited resources. (laughs) 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 So, you know, there's so much that can be done with unlimited resources, right? Because um, we, if you've been watching the news, we have a new president, Mm -hmm. President Mark Kennedy, who joined on July 1st. And he talks about the fourth industrial revolution, right? In terms of what the world is going to become with AI and data analytics, the jobs that never got invented, right? So we all need to be preparing for a future that we don't even know when it's going to come. Mm -hmm. So let's be on the cutting edge of that, right? But let's make sure that we're not leaving people behind. That'll be the most important thing we need to do. Make sure that we are... Providing those opportunities for everyone, rich, poor, uh, minority, diversity, anybody you can pick, right? And provide them that access and affordability. That's most important. Anybody who wants to get an education, I hope we can provide them at zero or minimal cost Mm -hmm. and give them opportunities in these cutting-edge fields as they look forward to it. Um, Even imagining 10, 15 years out, I'm not even sure the universities will look the way they look now Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of what we can do, right? There are no real walls or boundaries anymore. With online education, we can create with technology all kinds of simulations. Mm -hmm. You could put on your virtual reality and experience things that you couldn't even experience in a classroom anymore. So I think we could dream big. Mm -hmm. Um, But the most important thing for me would be, I hope sincerely that we can reduce the disparity between the rich and poor. That's going to be the bane of our society. If we continue to expand the disparity, if you think about just take Colorado, for example, Fort Collins is thriving. Denver is thriving. Boulder is thriving. Colorado Springs is thriving, right? As cities, Mm -hmm. but think about the whole Southern Colorado. What's going to happen to them if we all become Move on, then increase the gap. We're going to leave them behind. Mm -hmm. You're going to create chaos. It's our responsibility to figure out ways to take them along with us.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, We need to take those, build up, help build up those communities too. So let's not be selfish about we are the city people. We figured it out. And good luck to you. So I hope that the university can play a key role in helping see through those things
0: and bridge that gap between yes
2: we have to and not just for Colorado for our nation and for the world Mm -hmm. otherwise we are not gonna be enjoying living in this world right if you look at all the things that are happening in the world many of them are because people don't have enough resources Mm -hmm. right think about it how many times do you think about committing a crime when you have a good job a good lifestyle So why can't we hope for that for the rest of the world?
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And speaking toward the topic of new technologies and education and industry, um, in the recent past in the media, there's been a lot of talk and worry about uh, new technologies like AI and things like that, uh, displacing a lot of um, traditional jobs. So with that in mind, uh, do universities or do you foresee there being almost a wave of non-traditional students going back to school to learn new skills and develop those more technical abilities? I think
2: we are entering into a period where we need to take lifelong learning very seriously. You just have to commit to that, (laughs) (laughs) right? So in my mind, I don't exactly envy you guys who are starting on their careers now because things are gonna change so fast. Mm -hmm. So if the new generation is not prepared for that, I think there'll be lots of problems, right? So we have to figure out a way to, that's what I was talking about, taking the society to the next level, that we have to do it together. Um, Absolutely, machines will be powerful, but there'll also be more jobs created. The question is, are we preparing graduates for those new jobs, (laughs) (laughs) right? That's going to be the bigger question for the universities. So we have to be really hand in hand walk with uh, the industry, the government, the local and uh, state level and the federal level uh, legislators. And we just had to be together on this one. So that's what it takes. It's not the job of one person, right? I mean, if you think about what's happening in universities right now, the student mental health issues, That's a job of everybody, K through 12, university, community. So we have lots of interesting challenges which are not necessarily have to do with technology. Venkat, you're
1: successful in your academic career and you're also involved with the community and you're also, you have a family. So how do you, what are some of the rhythms that you put in place to keep yourself centered and make sure that you spend your time in the right places?
2: So, I do have family, but both my kids, they've gone to college and they are working. So, at least that pressure is not there to be home, right? Um, my wife works and she's also very highly connected to the community. So, she also has a reasonably busy lifestyle. <laughs> so, uh, but I do believe in a life balance, I play racquetball a couple of times a week. Um, I do spend time with my friends. I think this job requires a lot of stamina because it can start early in the morning and go into late night, depending on the day. Um, so, but you, you have to know, I knew what I was getting into. So you rarely see me complain about my job. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to enjoy. I genuinely enjoy people. That makes the job a lot easier because if you can't take that, it's going to be really hard. I mean, if you get exhausted with it. But there are days that I'm exhausted. <laughs> so I just had to give myself a break and say, hey, you know, cool it. <laughs> yeah, take some time and then come back to it. Um, but I have a lot of great people on the campus who support me quite a bit and help me. A lot of great friends in the community. So I think that 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 community helps you do these jobs and people who believe in you. So there are a lot of factors that are not easy to identify, but I do work hard to make some time for myself so that I can stay focused on the job. And
1: Ken, as we close out, we're going to ask some quick bullet questions. So what is one book that you recommend? Radical candor. Hmm. What is one resource that's helpful for you in everyday life? I meditate all day long. Could you
2: explain that? Expound on that a little bit more okay so I really work hard to maintain the calmness of the mind so no matter what the situation is out there I work hard to stay calm no guarantee that I would all day long right but most of the time you you rarely see me out of my zone so meditation sometimes, It's interpreted as, okay, you're going to do half an hour of meditation, hour of meditation. My thinking is, you need to be meditating all day long. (laughs) You can't be calm for half an hour and explore after that. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. So I think that's one resource that's internal for me that, uh, again, emotional intelligence, if you will. Well, Venkat, again, it's
1: been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Recommend one parting piece of guidance the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say
2: goodbye. Best way to connect with me? You got me out here, so you (laughs) knew how to connect with me. Um, But yeah, just chancellor at uccs.edu. People can reach out to me, and uh, um, we'll work hard to make time. And I just want to say, I'm really feeling proud that you both are alumni of the campus, and you both are doing well, and Really enjoyed interacting with both of you today.
1: Again, thank you for being here. All right. This is John Mark.
0: And this is Brent signing Brent.
1: off. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Attitude Check. Again, we really enjoyed this conversation with Venkat. He had a lot of wisdom and a lot of insight. And I can honestly say that one of my biggest takeaways is to, since I am an alumni of UCCS, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, I'm going to start, looking for people that I can mentor and really help through some of the difficult transitions that I went through without any help. We have a lot of exciting guests coming up. Brent and I have been able to talk to some absolutely incredible leaders in Colorado Springs and they've agreed to be on the podcast So stay tuned, check back every first and third Tuesday of the month for a new episode of attitude check and be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast hosting platform, because let's face it, you know you want to. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time.